0: I may proclaim to you the word of our God as we find that in 1 Samuel, chapter 17, beginning at verse 55 through chapter 18, verse 1. These words, when Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know. So the king said, inquire whose son this young man is. Then as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? So David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jessa the Bethlehemite. Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. So far. After the sermon, we will sing Psalm 68, stanzas 1 and 8. Dear brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, the story of David's victory over Goliath is an all time favorite. Even an individual who very rarely darkens the doors of a church will know something about David and Goliath having heard about it in Sunday school or elsewhere and the term David and Goliath has entered our vocabulary as a metaphor for an improbable victory of some weak party over someone far stronger the little guy David beats up on the mighty oppressive giant, Goliath. But how many people understand what the Holy Spirit conveys to us with this story? The story is misread and misapplied by people who don't go to church. Yet it is much more troublesome if the church doesn't know the meaning of the stories God has told us. Without much thought, the story is dramatized or embellished into a story that will fascinate all the little boys. David, the hero, takes his sling, whirls it around, and hits Goliath right between the eyes with such force that it knocks him unconscious or dead at the scene. No doubt, the story is dramatic, But we need to keep in mind the story that is behind the story. We may not lose sight of what God is doing at this particular point in the history of redemption. Goliath is an enemy of the Most High, who defies and disdains God. And it is the Lord God who sends David to deliver his people from the derision of this brute. The focal point of the story is not the defeat of Goliath by the underdog David, but that we, with all God's people, confess how God shall arise and by his might put all his enemies to flight. So We sing about that in Psalm 68. Central to the story is not the heroic deeds of a man, but the faithfulness of our God. Goliath is not like some Al-Qaeda or Taliban leader who was taken down by a drone or by the Navy SEALs. This has a far greater meaning for the particular well-being of the church. When the church is paralyzed by the threats of the ungodly, the Lord sends a courageous young man who will step forward valiantly, and put an end to the taunts of this giant. And it takes faith to see what issues are at stake. Not everyone will see it. The Lord needs to open the eyes of his people so that they will see what God is doing. And that's why we are told the words of our text. At first glance, the discussion Taking place seems somewhat confusing, but that is what forces us to dig deeper. The Holy Spirit gives us two reactions to David's defeat of Goliath. Eyes are shut and hearts are open to the mighty works of the Lord, and he regulates both. And so we'll look at this text further under the following theme. The Lord shows to whom he wills what he has proposed what he is performing through David. And we'll look at two things. He closes Saul's eyes so that he does not see it. And secondly, he opens Jonathan's heart so that he believes it. Now, if we do not keep in mind the connection between the words of our text and what has just taken place, what we find in the last verse, few verses of 1 Samuel 17 would seem rather bizarre and strange for when Saul observes the resolve of David to take down the Philistine he says to Abner, the commander of the army Abner whose son is this youth but why does Saul ask that now it isn't as though Saul has never been introduced to this young man. And Saul is not playing a Hebrew version of Dutch bingo. In fact, Saul knew him well. Just look at what the previous verses and chapter tell us. Saul had tried to help David fit into some armor, but it was way too big for him. David couldn't go anywhere with it on. And that is why he took off the armor and instead took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones, put them in his shepherd's bag, and with a sling in his hand, drew near to Goliath. And that was not the first time Saul and David had met. David had been hired to play his harp every time the king became possessed by an evil spirit. And his playing was much appreciated because it would bring relief to Saul, and he would feel better. In chapter 16, verse 21, we are told that Saul liked David very much, and David became one of his armor bearers. So what are we to make of Saul's question to Abner? Is he perhaps having a bad day? Doesn't he realize that this is the man who played the harp for him? Has he forgotten that he tried to fit on his armor? Just imagine developing a close relationship with a person and then asking, whose son is this young man? Is Saul perhaps showing signs of dementia or schizophrenia? Would this explain his evil spirits and his strange questions? Obviously, Saul is not doing well mentally or emotionally. But that is because he is not doing well spiritually. But the questions he asks are not asked in ignorance or confusion. When Saul asked Abner, whose son is this young man, he knew it was David. But similar to the reaction of the crowds who follow Jesus and who in utter amazement ask, is this not the son of the carpenter? Similar to that reaction, Saul asks Abner, whose son is this young man? The son of God became incarnate to deliver us from the brute force of Satan. The crowd saw Christ's mighty works and wonders, and they asked, Whose son is this young man? Is this not the son of Joseph the carpenter? The multitudes were amazed at all the things that Jesus could do. But they did not look at the story behind Jesus' coming. They do not see because they do not recognize that God is behind Christ's action. They judge Christ's work from a human perspective. And Saul does the same thing. He is stunned by David's bravery and fearlessness. Where does this young man get the courage to do such a valiant thing? He can't figure it out. The people of Israel are shaking in their army boots. No brave soldier ventures out to challenge Goliath. But this young man does not turn back even when Goliath curses. Whose son is this young man? This young man does not act like a farmer or shepherd boy, but like a courageous and heroic man of war. Saul wants to know, what's the secret to David's strength and courage? And notice, Saul asks this question to his commander in response to David's actions, and not in response to his words. Earlier, Saul had said to David, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy, and he has been a fighting man from his youth. And David had responded to that. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who has delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul didn't react to that confession of faith. He hadn't rejoiced or praised God for the words that he heard coming forth from David's mouth. But rather matter-of-factly, he says to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. And he sends him on his way. Saul doesn't pay attention when David said, I will go in the strength of the Lord. And that's why his mouth drops open as he sees David go. He can't believe his eyes. Who is this youth? Saul, who was called to be a leader in Israel, Should have been an example to the youthful David of how one ought to act in faith. But as it stands, he does not understand how David can be so valiant and dauntless. David's strength wasn't in the armor he wore, he had not. Was it perhaps in his genes, in his bloodline? Do you see how blind Saul is to the fact that the Lord strengthens and enables his servant? You see, Israel's king is falling further and further away from the Lord. He's on a free fall. He does not recognize God's deeds of might as revealed in David's action. He looks at David rather than at David's God. Well, today, more than ever, we must keep our eyes open to God's mighty works of redemption. And we must face every foe trusting that the Lord will come to the aid of his people, even when they least expect it. Deliverance and salvation belong to the Lord. The Lord rules supreme, and he reveals his might and the power of his redemption in the words and the works of his Son. And we are to follow this Christ. As we fight the good fight of faith, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And that will only make sense when our eyes are open to God's work in our lives. But that is also what will draw people's attention, so that they begin to wonder, how do they do it? Oh, they may not be in tune with what we are saying and confessing. But when they see it followed through, accompanied by, and translated into deeds, they often sit up and take notice. The strength of our life is in the Lord. And what people see will either open their eyes or it will close them tighter than before. Our neighbors and people at work or school may wonder why we act the way we do. And they will try to explain it from a human point of view and may suggest that we have been conditioned by our environment, our culture, our upbringing, our ethnic background, or by our parents. But if they ever should ask, they should hear it straight from us. We are what we are because of the hope that is in us. The Lord is our strength. And having faith in him we walk on. That's what gives our young men and our young women what they need to face every challenge and every enemy and to stand strong in this world. And this is why we must also examine ourselves to make sure we are Not only pious confessors of the word of God, but also faithful doers of the will of God. Older members should be an example of what it means to live by faith. And what it means to find our strength in the Lord. We proceed with all that we do in the name of the Lord Almighty. Parents need to be examples to their children. That that is the strength of their life. As fathers and mothers, we may not be intimidated by the spirit of this age. We are instruments in the hands of the Redeemer. All actions are to proceed from faith and must be judged that way as well. That applies to this text and any passage of Scripture. Scripture. To give an example, what the apostles said and did after Christ's ascension was not determined by the fact that most of them were fishermen of Galilee. The book of Acts does not give us an account of their actions, but contains the acts of the Lord Jesus Christ through these men. You see, faith does not glory in the work of individuals, of reformers, or great preachers, either of the past or the present, but we acknowledge them to be instruments of the Lord. Also today, the actions of others should not be judged strictly from a human point of view. And so rather than saying, Oh, you don't have to ask why he did that he's a chip off the old block and rather than saying well she's just like her mother we should be asking was what he or she did performed in faith is it the Lord who stands behind those actions Beloved, if we do not live close to the Lord and look at everything, and if we look at everything from a human perspective, then there will come a time when we will not even recognize the glorious work of the Lord among his people. The Lord will strike us with blindness so that we do not see it any longer. This is what happened to Saul. At one time, Saul saw God's ways. But the Lord smote him with blindness. On an earlier occasion, the king received instructions to destroy the Amalekites, but he only did a half job. He did not wait for Samuel to offer the sacrifice. And that is why the Lord punished him with spiritual blindness. And that is why Saul can get no further than to ask, whose son is this young man? And that same blindness came upon Abner because he does not know the answer either. (coughs) Sometimes we are afraid that God is punishing us when suffering, pain, sickness, and death come our way. But trial and adversity are often sent by God as a blessing in disguise. We come out stronger in the end. But there is something different that we should fear. That the Lord strike us with spiritual blindness so that we do not see his ways any longer. To see Goliath fall without seeing that the Lord is coming to the rescue means Saul has fallen terribly. And why did God strike him with such blindness? Was it because he sinned? Was it because he was disobedient? No, it was because he refused to confess his sins and repent from his short-sightedness. Brothers and sisters, confess your sins before the Lord and pray that he keep your eyes open to his mighty ways of salvation performed among his people and in your own life. Saul is blind. What about Jonathan? Well, by God's grace, his eyes are opened. The Lord gives him a heart to believe. Jonathan's reaction is totally different than his father's. Saul is persistent. He wants to know whose son this young man is. Is this a family trait or not? And so as David returns from slaying the Philistine, Abner takes David to the king. And Saul asks asks David directly, Whose son are you, young man? And David gives him a simple and straightforward answer. I am the son of your servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. And then follows the remarkable statement, After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David and he loved him as himself. How ironic. Jonathan's reaction demonstrates that what you do and how you act does not depend on what family you were born into or where you grew up. For Jonathan is not like his father at all. He does not love David because he was such a hero. He loves him, not in the first place because of what he did, but because of what he said. He hears in David's reply the voice of one who speaks and lives in faith. Jonathan and David are united as friends. And it is not a shallow or fair-weather friendship. Or uh, I will forget you the moment I don't see you friendship. Or, uh, I just got too busy and don't have time for you friendship. Putting it in today's terms. David does not take a selfie off his cell phone a picture of himself holding the head of Goliath so that he could post it on Facebook. And Jonathan, seeing the picture immediately, clicks like, No, they are knit together. And they will help each other through all things This is a picture of true friendship that knows loyalty and commitment and that finds its strength in the Lord. Responding to Saul's question, whose son are you, young man? Jonathan did not hear David give a great big speech. All he says is, I am the son of your servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. And perhaps we are somewhat baffled and miffed by that. David says, nothing special. And yet, after he has spoken, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. So, why did the prince love him for this? Would you be drawn any closer to a person if he told you his dad's name and place of birth? Brothers and sisters, Jonathan is gladdened by what he hears because after the death of Goliath, David continues as a man of faith. He doesn't try to be more than what he is. He's not proud or haughty or insolent. Nor does David come up to Saul and say, Well, why are you asking me that now? Duh. You big chicken. You should have cut off Goliath's head, but I, son of Jesse, had to do it for you because you didn't dare. And neither does David deny his roots, nor is he ashamed of being associated with his family. Notice David says to Saul, I am the son of your servant Jesse, having the head of Goliath, the giant, in his hand. For weeks, the people of Israel were tormented by the enemy of God. They listened to his cursing day after day. The Philistine big mouth scared the wits out of them and gave them the heebie-jeebies. An instrument and servant of the devil paralyzed the church. But now this young man has gone forth in the strength of the Lord and cut off the head of Satan's servant. He has stopped the tongue of Goliath, and now he stands before the king with the sign of the fulfillment of God's promises in his hands. After the fall into sin, the Lord promised to crush the head of the serpent through the advent of the Messiah. Well, the death of Goliath is another prefiguration of the full deliverance of the church that the Messiah will bring. The Lord will drive out all our enemies before us, and no one will be able to paralyze the work of God or the work of his servants. David stands before Saul with the head of Goliath in his hand, and it is a sneak preview of the glorious work Christ will do. Jesus will do what no other person would do or could do. On the cross, not a servant of Satan, but Satan himself will be broken forever. David was used as an instrument in the Lord's hand to keep the way open to the coming of this Christ. David answers, Saul, I am the son of your servant But the source of his strength does not lie in what he learned from his father or grandfather. It isn't in his genes. His strength is in the almighty father of his great-grandson, Jesus. David doesn't have much to say, but it is enough to open the eyes of Jonathan. Faith in God becomes the basis for their friendship. They are united in faith and in the conviction that God's complete deliverance is coming. What Jonathan lacked in his relationship with his father, he gains with David. As Saul's life sinks deeper and deeper into a morass of sin, Jonathan finds in David one with whom he can exercise the communion of saints. Jonathan is losing a father, but he is gaining a brother. Brothers and sisters, here you have the basis for true communion and friendships. Communion is not built upon pride, haughtiness, conceit, but by denying ourselves and confessing our Savior. We feel the pain when someone in our family does not walk in the ways of the Lord. Unbelief creates all sorts of tension and rifts. Some have parents who do not serve the Lord according to his word. Others have children who have turned their backs to the service of the Lord. But in the unity of faith, in the communion of God's people, as expressed In the local church we gain brothers and sisters children and parents in the lord we gain true friends unity in the lord knits lives together so that we can function as one body beloved what is the basis of your friendships with others what are you looking for in others in the church true faith unites us and gives us communion we come together as those united in faith well let such communion not be lacking because of our unbelief let us all make it our prayer lord open our eyes to see your ways of deliverance and that our strength is in you alone for then we will also discover brothers and sisters where we might never have dreamt it was possible. Amen.